Cut It Go Go, a show that brings education to your ears and meta-mastery to your assessments. With several insightful interviews, today's episode covers privacy in this age of virtual classrooms and proctored assessments. When the tests have cameras, is your school ready for its close-up? Cut It Go Go, brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. When creating the testing seems tough, ExamSoft gives you rainbows so you can pass your students with flying colors. Hey, Education Nation. Thanks for joining us for the final episode of Season 1 of Pedagogo. Today's episode is about privacy and the opportunities programs have to use the break before fall classes to update their privacy policies, to stay up to date with the ever-evolving education landscape due to COVID-19. To talk to us today about privacy, I'm joined by Eric Connolly, Vice President of Client Development with ExamSoft, and Devin Lash, IT Administrator at the Binghamton University School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. To kick us off today, let's listen to my interview with Eric Connolly. Eric works with clients on a daily basis, developing best practices and finding solutions for their challenges. He has seen firsthand the importance of robust privacy policies and what can happen without them. Take a listen. Let me start off by asking a very basic question. How is privacy different than security? Well, they certainly uh, intermingle and overlap in a lot of areas. Privacy is mainly about what data is collected, how it's used. Uh, and generally, when you think of security, it's how is that data protected and secured from unauthorized use or access, right? So one is, what are we collecting? How are we using it? What's its application? And the other is, how is that data mm -hmm. being secured? And how is it being protected from folks that should not be seeing it? Are there different types of privacy? There are in the sense that certain industries or verticals are governed by various entities within those types of industries that have that additional parent body overseeing privacy, such as HIPAA or FERPA. There's going to be very stringent requirements about how that information can be used, what it can be used for, and the importance of being compliant with those in order to participate in those industries. So Eric, talk to me and the listeners. Why are we having an additional conversation beyond FERPA? Well, I think to answer your first question, I think the biggest reason why we are having this conversation right now uh, is primarily due to COVID-19 and the rapid change of education as it's moved from mm -hmm. being in a traditional classroom to all of a sudden having to deliver uh, distance learning and remote assessment. Uh, and then that brings in additional mm -hmm. technology such as remote proctoring, right? The students started campus at the beginning of the year, mm -hmm. assuming a normal education experience as they had had up until that point. And now all of a sudden yeah. uh, things are rapidly disrupted. I'm having to continue to prove uh, that I have absorbed that material but I'm having to do it in a completely different modality. So things I might not have thought about as a student prior to are now all of a sudden, you know, mm -hmm. front and center in the spotlight. So I'm thinking about, hold on, now I'm being proctored. What are they doing with my information? I'm being assessed. How is that information being used? Mm -hmm. I'm absorbing content through a learning management system. What are they collecting about me? It's new. Um, so it's front and center and kind of at the top of my mind as a student. And it's not necessarily what I signed up for at the beginning of the year. So Absolutely. that while I may not object to the unique challenges being thrust upon higher education, I have common questions and I just want basic answers as to how this information is being used because I didn't go into the school year anticipating that I'd be giving consent to these types of things. 
Absolutely. Eric, you might not know the answer to this question, but your response just really piqued my interest. When did students sign up for this or when should they or when do they need to? Well, that takes us into certainly a, a deeper conversation about academic policy and university policy. Um, but typically, when you think about it from in generic terms, from a student experience standpoint, when you start with a university, you're typically signing some kind of honor code, accepting some sort of academic policy. And the real question, and, and I think the direction that your question asks is, are these right. types of things covered in that? Uh, so was I informed? Does the school have a distance learning policy? And, and all of these types of new questions. And the answer is maybe they do, maybe they don't, because nobody anticipated being in this situation. Right. Um, so now it, it leaves everybody in the industry, whether you're on the technology side or you're on the academic side, of uh, making sure that we address those concerns and, and that we disclose that information. Mm -hmm. So the summer might be a, a good time to go back and look and say, hey, did our original policy... Um, do all we wanted it to do for these changing times. Absolutely. I, I, look, from our position from on the technology side, working with close to 2,000 clients across the world, it's safe to say that many of those institutions have not taught in a remote setting before, and they may not even have policy that speaks to this type of scenario. And if that's the case, everybody's goal, I think, uh, in wrapping up the spring semester or the academic year that for many places around the world ends around this May timeframe. Uh, the goal was to survive and quickly adapt and, and do the best that we all could with a situation we never saw coming. However, now that we're through that, this, this summer term in the United States or breaks in other parts of the world is a good time to address maybe where those gaps are in academic policy and say, okay, when we come, when we resume teaching, um, are we going to be in a position to where we will now have distance learning as a regular part of our curriculum? Will we have some kind of hybrid model or will everybody be coming, coming back mm -hmm, to campus? Mm -hmm. And do we have policies that speak to the expectations, not only from faculty, but from students uh, in regards to those different types of modalities and delivery? And if the answer is we don't, this would be the perfect time to address some of those shortcomings in academic policy. Absolutely. Well, gosh, in talking to Devin, my other guest for today, even once a program has a well-informed privacy policy that takes the new environment into account, just making sure that students have an opportunity, one, to hear it, two, to understand it, and then a forum to ask their questions to put their mind at ease. The, the discussion around privacy is much more than getting the uh, airtight policy drafted, but it's communicating it to students so they understand it, look at it as a tool to continue their education remotely, and don't fear it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is the opportunity to be proactive, whereas I think we're coming out of the last couple of months where, as an industry, we've largely been reactive. And, mm -hmm. and the importance of being proactive from both a faculty and student perspective is exactly what you just talked about, and that is how can we communicate um, not only what requirements are, but what expectations are and, and why is that important. I think what we tend to um, veer away from in a reactive mode is the why and the rationale behind what's required. Yes. Whereas when we can be a little bit more proactive, we have more time to explain and, and help both faculty and students through the rationale behind the decisions that are being made. So for example, 
for example, if you are going to assess right. in a remote environment on a high stakes assessment, the requirement of proctoring uh, becomes equally important, not only to ensure academic integrity, but also to ensure program integrity and to ensure outcomes and fairness. And all of these things we take for granted Absolutely. when it's done in a campus environment. But when we don't have the ability or the foresight to be able to explain mm -hmm. all of those whys behind something like remote proctoring, for example, then that tends to get lost and the conversation instead shifts to, well, I don't want my information collected and how is my information being used? And it's, it becomes very personal and rightfully so. I mean, these are all great questions that students should be asking. But at the same time, a lot of it just comes from a misunderstanding of why it's important in the first place, right? And how it enhances their degree and how right. it validates their degree. And some of those pieces sometimes get lost. And additionally, the last thing I would add to that is it becomes equally important to the university from an accreditation standpoint, right? Our accreditors right. are going to come to us now or at some point in the future, and they're going to want to know that those outcomes that took place in a remote environment uh, were just as meaningful as if they were in a classroom environment. And what a message, if if done well, if university administration take the time to have a well-informed privacy policy, communicate it to students in a way that's understandable, open themselves up for student feedback, what a gift to give a student to know that your instructors, your program, and your university took your privacy seriously and made well-informed decisions about how to enable you to continue in your degree while still respecting your personal data. Exactly. And, and it works best when everybody is collaborating and working together on that approach, which is something that a lot of institutions have time for right now is how do we involve our student government in this decision making? How do we involve all of our faculty and the various stakeholders to participate in this process so that we all have a clear understanding of what the expectations need to be, but also the rationale behind those expectations. I've heard somebody even suggest the idea of a student bill of rights when it comes to privacy. What is fair to expect from your program while not handcuffing them to such rigorous privacy standards that no product service tool meet those requirements? I do want to define somewhat privacy versus policy. Please. Right, because when when we're talking on the university side, a lot of times we're talking about policy itself. In other words, this is our academic policy for delivering in a distance learning environment. And the reason why that's important is because um, the university is is already bound by privacy via FERPA. And typically technology mm -hmm. companies that are in higher education, I know ours is one of them, are bound by those same requirements. Um, so there are mm -hmm. protections in place on the privacy side, not only in what can be collected, but how it can be used and what can be disclosed. And disclosure is a lot of what FERPA deals with. But from a university perspective, it's, it's really more about policy. And what I mean by that is what is our academic policy? So if we're going to deliver uh, education and assessment and proctoring in a remote environment, mm -hmm then there are certain requirements and policies that are required of the student to be successful in that type of environment that may not have existed in a classroom environment. For example, um, minimum system requirements for a computer become much more important so that the technology works for everybody. A policy for how we are going to handle exceptions becomes very important. A policy for 
what requirements are going to be an absolute requirement for a student to participate in distance learning versus which ones may not be absolute requirements. But when you get into the proctoring of a high stakes assessment, your policy may be much more rigid, which is in order to participate and take this exam, you must be willing to be remote proctored. In the world of proctoring, a technology provider is providing a specific service saying, we are going to capture video and in exchange, we are going to provide this proctoring service. So the policy, their privacy policy is very defined around, we're collecting this information, A, in order to provide service B. But typically the university is actually the owner of that data. And what that means is that they control that data and the technology company is typically defined as a processor of that data. So the way yeah. this all ties together and becomes important from an academic policy standpoint is let's say a student says, I'm not going to consent okay. to video being captured of me for the purposes of proctoring. The university needs a policy to say, if in that event, is that a requirement for the student? Are we still going to allow them to take that assessment? Or sure. is that a requirement of the program and they simply can't participate in the program if they don't accept that policy? So all of a sudden that question becomes really important because if that prospective student reached out to the technology provider and, and says, I don't consent, the technology provider is just going to turn around to the institution and say, what do you want us to do? You're the data controller here. We do what you tell us to, what do you want us to do? And so typically where an institution may get in trouble is when they don't have a policy that speaks to what they want to do. So I think oftentimes they look to the technology company to satisfy that student concern. It's actually our responsibility to ask the university how they would like that's us right. to satisfy that's that right. concern. And that's why that policy piece becomes so important. It's important to have parameters as to what's a requirement for this particular program and this type of modality versus what's not necessarily a requirement, but a best practice. Eric, your answer has just opened my eyes so much. We're not talking about a privacy policy. There's not going to be a blanket privacy policy. Like you've articulated, there's going to be policies and procedures just to carry on in an online class and perhaps separate or more stringent policies around a high stakes assessment. So when we're using this term privacy and policy, what we really mean is a set or a portfolio of policies that are gonna dictate the privacy um, and student information. And it's important, I think, not only for the institution, but for the students to know what that policy is. For the first time, people are asking, well, hold on, what am I consenting to? Instead of just providing that basic blanket consent. And that's a really- I agree, that's right. That's actually a really good thing. I think it's great that students and faculty are asking those types of questions. To put it in the context of our overall conversation though, the more we can disclose mm -hmm. that proactively and provide the rationale as to why, the fewer questions and interruptions it's going to cause in the moment. Well, and Eric, your comment also made me realize, one, we're talking about a portfolio of policies, not the policy, and two, the elements that need to be included, including what is collected, how is it used? How is it stored? For how long? What are my rights to view it? Can I ask, if I'm a student, can I ask to see all of the personally identifiable information my university has on me? And how, how long are they keeping it? And where are they storing it? So my goodness, this becomes um, just such an involved but important 
question it's, and discussion. It's a very the more important topic. Yeah. And I think where it ties into the greater picture of higher education in general is, and as folks are planning, especially this summer for what may be a new normal in the fall, I, I think the place it all ties together is um, it's important not only to, not to develop those policies in a vacuum, right? So because those policies are going to tie to how you plan to deliver learning. Um, so it really starts with a planning exercise from beginning to end, which is this is the subject matter. This is how we're going to deliver it in a remote capacity, which may look very different from how we delivered it in a campus capacity. I think um, most folks familiar with distance mm -hmm. learning will tell you that that modality uh, has to be delivered differently to be absorbed uh, to the same effectiveness as what you might have in a classroom environment. All of those types of decisions are going to inform what tools you need to do it effectively. How are you going to use your learning management system? How are you going to use assessment software? How are you going to use digital proctoring? And then those questions will then inform, okay, what kind of policies do we need in place for students to be effective in this environment? Um, so knowing, knowing that they're now going to be required to be digitally proctored, That's right. we need to make sure they have the right system requirements in order to meet those demands. We need to make sure that they understand the right policies that that's a requirement in order to ensure the in the integrity of that particular program and all right. the other various things because the way it the way it ultimately ties into privacy is you want students to have clear expectations of what's required of them and what's expected mm -hmm. of them um, privacy policy is a component of that uh, because you're going right. to have to leverage various tools i mean i'm i'm in the assessment side of the world but there are many many technology tools that could be leveraged throughout uh, both campus and distance learning. Uh, that's where privacy ultimately falls into place because those tools need to comply with the overall expectations. But beyond that, you're only leveraging those tools to ultimately deliver on an objective. So if you haven't defined the objective, it's hard to know which tools best fit it and therefore what privacy policies need to be in place by the organizations that are providing those tools. Well, one of my questions, Eric, was going to be, where should a policy like this live? Is it when you accept admission to the university? Is it an honor code? Is it by course? Is it by program? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah, and I'm certainly not the expert to, to speak to the specifics about where it lives. The good news is, and, and here's what I found in working with a lot of various programs over the last month and a half as education has gone through this massive disruption. Mm -hmm. is that oftentimes universities have policies or, or to your answer of yes to all the above, specific programs have policies because they may have a distance learning component. The folks that are having heartburns right now and are trying to quickly kind of put these policies together are typically the ones that haven't dealt in distance learning before because when you talk to the distance learning programs, they say, oh yeah, we addressed that way back when. It, same thing, mm -hmm. right? When they put themselves in that position, it became a requirement in order to successfully deliver in that modality. Right. So Eric, I'm so glad you brought this up. Can you share with us what are some of the heartburns that you've heard lately surrounding privacy? Well, I mean, the biggest one that we could continue to hammer home is, is certainly having academic policy that speaks to the expectations of students in a distance learning capacity, because typically the pushback uh, and the heartburns that they're running into is, is for example, um, they may have a student or a handful of students that say, I don't consent to being digitally proctored, or I don't consent to working in a, in a remote capacity. And if they don't have a policy that mm -hmm. becomes the grounding that everybody can go back to and review together, 
to resolve that, then it becomes very difficult to resolve hmm. because there there is no kind of law, right, that we can refer back to and say, well, this is the policy that we have for delivering in, in this type of environment. Um, without that, everything becomes debatable. Mm-hmm. So where that tends to snowball and, and how institutions sometimes get into trouble quickly, let's all band together and object to something together for these reasons. What's been interesting about that is that mm-hmm. I've oftentimes found that those reasons um, lack accuracy or uh, factual integrity to them. They could be based off of old information or misinformation, mm-hmm. but all of that has blown up to that point because there was never an expectation set in the first place. There was never a policy in the first place or an explanation to the various technologies that will be used with perhaps links to those technologies, privacy policies. And all of that can easily be tied into a university or an institution's academic policy, right? These are the technologies that we're going to leverage in order to ensure that you are effectively learning and digesting the information that we're passing along to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here's a link to their privacy policy so that you can inform yourself as to what information they're collecting and how they're using that to provide the service that we're asking them to provide. But without all of that context and just in the vacuum mm-hmm. of we are now thrusting proctoring upon this because we need to ensure that exam integrity is in place. Um, just looking at it in that vacuum, the question automatically becomes, well, who's doing the proctoring? How is it being done? What are they doing with my information? What rights do I have? So the whole context of the conversation gets changed because there's a lack of understanding as to how it fits into the, the greater objectives that are taking place. Next, take a listen to my interview with Devin Lash, IT Administrator at Binghamton University School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Binghamton is an R1 university that is part of the SUNY, or State of New York, university system. The pharmacy program is relatively new. It enrolled its first cohort in 2017, and Devin has been there since day one. My name is Devin Lash, and I am the IT administrator at the Binghamton University School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. And I oversee all of the IT operations that go with it. We have a research division that I help with. They started the pharmacy school back in about 2015, 2016. So Devin, just to get us started, can you just define privacy for us? What is and isn't privacy in the world of an IT administrator? Sure, that's a a very good question. Privacy has really become a big hot button topic. It means that the information that I'm generating, whether that's digital or a document or something that I am working on, stays with me unless I want it to be shared. And that's a big key part of, I think, with privacy is the knowledge of it. Right. Gotcha. So anything that you and you being the user in this instance, anything the user that's digital is generating stays with them unless they want it to be shared as far as they know. Correct. Okay. So here's a follow-up question. According to that definition, is there privacy anywhere digitally? I would say it's very hard to find privacy in the modern era with technology. We all try our best. Nobody really wants to try to have something out there that 
somebody doesn't want for whatever implication, because there's a lot of information we don't want to share, especially because some of that information could be used to, to do harm to us. But unfortunately, I think you've hit a point that no matter how hard we try, there's no way we can assure 100% privacy in a digital age. So to your question, yeah, I don't think anything can be 100% private. And a lot of times, like we've seen what happened with the GPDR, where they now have started in the European Union, realizing that big companies like Google, Apple, Facebook had all this information on users and they didn't let them know. And it wasn't in the bylaws or in the uh, what they call on our end would be the end user license agreement. And they never shared it. So how could you expect somebody mm-hmm. to know? And if anybody's read an end user license agreement, first off, I applaud you mm-hmm. because those things are very long and mm-hmm. normally it's just scroll, 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 accept. And that's fair because they actually did a study right. on this once and they gave it to right. college students, uh, end user license agreement. And it was stumping college students of like, what's the terminologies in this? It's very convoluted. It's very wordy. And ultimately, if you don't have some basis, how do you really know what it means? Devin, if you could invite, so to speak, to the table representatives to draft a new privacy policy, who would you invite to be in the room? I will definitely say I am no foremost expert, but to me, what would make sense would having, as I mentioned, university administration, Mm -hmm. presidents, provosts, VPs that are really on the upper level, ones that kind of have to represent the university on that administrative level. But Mm -hmm. also I would probably say if there's a professional staff Senate and a mm-hmm. faculty council or a faculty Senate, because they're speaking, they're speaking as educators. The staff right. are speaking from the day-to-day operational kind of part. And then I would also invite a student body or a student government or something of that nature. So that mm-hmm. way they can speak on a student part. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure that there may be some other ones in there, like maybe a university police could speak a little bit, or mm-hmm. maybe right. the lawyers that could speak a little bit. And I'm sure that there's some operational staff, whether you have a physical facilities that they could probably speak a little bit, because everybody's got a part and everybody's got a role in this. Right. That's why the crowdsourcing gets so much of these days of being able to do that, because you're just having a collective mind of people contributing to one thing. And it is really hard because you have to find a balanced blend between not being so overly secure that it's cumbersome, but not being so wide open that you're just, anybody can get anything at any time they want. So defining this sort of blend in the middle, and it's like, how do you bridge this gap coming forward? Where does your program's privacy policy live? And where do you think it should live? Some of it's in our student handbook that they all sign that says, here's the different things that we're able to do, and this is what what we're doing with it. Some of it is in the syllabus, and we actually, to speak about like some of the COVID-related things, we actually addendumed all of our syllabi. Okay, yep. I was going to ask how y'all handled it. So you yep. made a real-time change. Yep. Academic administration, our Office of Academic Affairs and Student Affairs, Mm -hmm. actually went through with our curriculum committee. We really had a tough time with students with that in the very beginning because a lot of our students had questions going into it, and rightly so. So for anyone who's not familiar with a pharmacy school, it's kind of like high school. Each cohort stays with each other and takes the same classes. So 
each one of those cohorts had a meeting saying, hey, we're switching to the online format. It's going to happen at this point. This is what's going on. And we are going to use this service. And a lot of them were shooken by it, quite frankly, on that, because Mm. it's like, well, what does that mean for us kind of thing? Yeah, you're telling me that, but what does that mean? And it took a lot of work on our ends. And I know I've fielded a lot of questions from students before we'd give our exam, we would put a little Zoom session before so people could ask questions. And we had a lot of questions coming up to that too, saying like, well, who's watching me? Do I have to show my whole room? Could someone just Mm -hmm. chat in on this one? What if I have Mm -hmm. a question? What are we doing this? A very, very valid question. And that was things that we learned as we went. And every week we had a faculty town hall slash academic task force meeting. And we would bring up some of these concerns and seeing, are these things that we can address or are these things that there's just nothing we could do based on the environment that we come in? And what's the way that we're going to move forward? And we did that on a weekly check all the way up through last week, which we ended finals, I believe, on the 13th. We had to look at alternatives. And I know because I had to sit here and work with my student affairs and academic affairs and administration within the pharmacy school. And we had to look at that. And that was one of the questions that I had and the concerns, which why we eventually picked exam monitor was I didn't feel comfortable with having our students watch the whole time. And it really depends on how you phrase things, right? A lot of that comes in. Instead of saying, we're watching you, we kind of phrased it as this service just makes sure that the grade that you got and what you did was on your own accord and you earned it. Like we got feedback from our students on a lot of this too. Mm -hmm. We asked them, what was good? What was bad? What did you like? What didn't you like? And don't just say moving to the online format because we understand that wasn't a great thing. And, you know, I'm sure most of them would rather take it. We're right there with you. Nobody wants to go online in one week. What was things that you had of concerns and what were things that made you feel more comfortable? So Mm -hmm. we did a lot of that in a six to eight week time period. And I'm sure we're going to be able to push this forward because we have to prepare for the fall. When your program found out it was going to go online, that these faculty town halls began um, talking about issues related to that. And then certainly within that discussions around proctoring in general came up. The faculty was able to talk amongst themselves about these questions, but then students were also able to ask this faculty group questions as well. Yes. We always had it that if a student ever had a concern or a question or something, they'd either field it to me or our student affairs office who got a lot of the questions, who really knew a lot of what was going on, or academic affairs, or our, we have a director of assessment that would deal with a lot of it. So we would get it from anything from test format to general administration of exams. I'm not sure how this worked or will I be penalized for this? Is this my fault? My dog mm-hmm. ran through and my cat sat on my laptop. And we would we right. would always pull for kind of questions to be able to bring up at these things. And they were always really very useful to have. And we had some great discussions on a lot of this. And then on top of these faculty town halls, Devin, representatives from your program sat down with students, each cohort, and said, we're going to be transitioning to proctoring services, and students were able to ask questions in real time then. And then beyond that, right before each test, you had a Zoom call that would allow students to ask questions and be comfortable. Y'all really gleaned a lot of information and feedback from those students. What are best practices to get started? 
you have an information security department or even a CIO or a CSO, the chief security officer, start asking, what are we doing about our data? What are we doing to protect my research? What -hmm. are we doing to protect student data? What are we doing to protect the uh, student information? Do we have backups? Where do the backups exist? Now, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to tell you some of this information because, I, you know, again, I can't speak for every place. But you can start maybe bringing up some things that may or may not have been brought up before. If you have a faculty senate, as I mentioned before, or a faculty council or even a staff council, a staff senate, ask these questions and you're going to start getting some information back. Now, I can't say what you're going to get back, but... Sure, but you've started the process. So, like, we really, you really have to start to really start to have an engaging conversation. Sitting here right now listening to you talk, I am shocked that not every university in the world has a privacy and data task force that meets regularly and begins the process of getting the ball rolling on this. Because I think once people start asking these questions and there's clarity and accessibility and accountability. Yep. I can't imagine that that task force ever stops meeting yep. ever, we, in an ever-evolving landscape. And we actually do have some committees that are on our university level that includes faculty, staff, Smart. IT, okay. and administration about data security. And data science. Hmm. We have a data science okay. committee because we're a big research institution. We're an R1 institution. Mm-hmm. So we're very mm-hmm. big into making sure that, you know, what's this data mean? What does this data right. do? What what classifies as PII data? What is classified as HIPAA data? What's classified as FERPA data? Well, we have to have a broader conversation of where does that sit and how do we protect that? We used a company called Gartner that came in and did a report on this and actually looked at all of our institution for a lot of these different things and gave a report Hmm. back to us and said, here's where we think some of the lapses are and that we're trying to implement. That could even be a good option if they're looking at it because you may not have the manpower to do it. And that's not easy. I know this is not an easy process, but we have definitely seen some issues happen at our university and we've tried to make amends to them. And we're trying to be as progressive as we can, but not debilitating. So that way it's so crack down that nothing comes in and nothing goes out kind of thing. Yeah, that's an awesome narrative right there is this isn't easy. And it's actually okay if you don't have the in-house manpower, there are places you can go to get it yeah. and still conduct these types of absolutely data gathering. That, absolutely. that is a valuable message. Right. And don't and that's the one thing I want to say. Don't feel like you have to take this on yourself. That doesn't work. So Devin, in that same vein, looking ahead to the predominance of proctoring in virtual classrooms, what changes still need to be made for fall? How are you going to spend your time over the summer really getting ready? Devin explained that part of his role as an IT administrator is making sure students have access to and understand the technological tools they use to learn and be assessed. Devin typically worked with students in person on campus. Listen to Devin's suggestions on how to keep students technology and privacy literate when you can't sit down with them on campus. So I may have to use some clever methods, you know, some more interactive PowerPoints or Zoom sessions, you know, some small Zoom sessions. And maybe we set up some one-on-one time, like here, schedule a 15-minute block, you share your screen with me, and I go over 
any questions you have to be able to see. Almost like, like an orientation, right? Yeah, because we normally do an orientation, but we're really going to have to transition how that goes. You know, those are things that are coming up that we're trying to plan for and, you sure. know, trying to come up with the best case scenario. Looking ahead to a fully virtual fall, F- finish this sentence for me. At least at Binghamton, we couldn't have done it without what? What are the three things that if somebody is trying to put a robust privacy policy in place for fall, what are the three things that, at least in your opinion, you can't do it without? I would say that you can't do it without teamwork. You can't do it without cooperation. And you can't do it without foresight. You need to have foresight. You really have to try to think about more than just the here and now. Thank you so much for joining me today for this discussion on privacy. Eric and Devin both spoke on the importance of sharing the why with students. In other words, contextualizing the role privacy plays in allowing students to continue to progress towards their degree in the safety and comfort of their own homes without disruption due to COVID. Both Devin and Eric also talked about the importance of developing policies in conjunction with all stakeholders across campus. It's important to allow students as well as faculty and staff from across the campus to inform the privacy policies that will get programs through the new fall and beyond. This episode wraps season one of Pedagogo. Keep your eyes peeled for a bonus episode all about proctoring, but for now, let me share a heartfelt thank you for listening to season one. This podcast is a labor of love that was born out of the panic surrounding COVID. Looking ahead to a post-COVID world, I look forward to joining you next season to continue talking about all things education. Until then, I'm your host, Allison Case. Stay safe and stay well. Pedagogo brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. When creating the testing seems tough, ExamSoft gives you rainbows so you can pass your students with flying colors. This podcast was produced by Allison Case and the ExamSoft team. Audio engineering and editing by Adam Karsten and the A2K Productions crew, including me, Keely Karsten. This podcast is intended as a public service for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not a legal interpretation nor a statement of ExamSoft policy, products, or services. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of ExamSoft or any of its officials, nor does any appearance on this program imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Additionally, reference to any specific product, service, or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by ExamSoft. This podcast is the property of ExamSoft Worldwide, Inc. and is protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark laws. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of ExamSoft.